Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have one of my favorite kind of episodes. I guess you could call it insidery, but it really starts in earbuds just like yours. A listener somewhere picks up the TMBA pod and maybe some other pods like it, and all of a sudden works their way into the community and achieves a version of the success in their own way that they're hearing about every week on the podcast. Today's guest is someone I have a lot of respect for. I've seen him hustling as a freelancer, working all the time to a successful entrepreneur who has recently, as you'll hear, been able to take a step back from the day-to-day of his business, something many of us aspire to do. Stick around and you're going to hear many TMBA themes in this show. Here's just a few. The power of putting yourself in the room around seasoned entrepreneurs, not just for knowledge, but also to get work. There's a lot of money passing between the listeners of this show. The second is why getting a job is often an excellent way to uplevel your business chops. Something entrepreneurs don't think about is going back to work for a little while can be a great way to uplevel. And one of my favorite concepts of all time, number three, the knowledge gap versus the efficiency gap will make an appearance and a lot more. We're also going to talk about some other things that are equally common in entrepreneurship, dealing with the dips, depression, coming to terms with loss. And I really appreciate the way that today's guest has shared about that so openly. So a little background, Bunty Sumroy is a member of our community, the Dynamite Circle, and that'll come up a few times. And he currently runs a paid ads agency, specializes in Facebook and Google paid traffic, primarily for software as a service companies. Without further ado, let's get into the story. My story is pretty different from what I've learned of other community members. I hear that a lot of people came from a corporate side. They had savings. In my life before, I'm talking like my early 20s, I wanted to do things not in front of a screen. Like I went to school for digital art and I moved to San Francisco for a little while to try to be a professional. Never really worked out. I got like a temp job as a graphic designer. And then in life, I was like, I want to do things with my hands. I was working as a bike mechanic. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I had the seed planted that like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. But frankly, it was entrepreneurial. I was just playing. I was like playing with laser cutters and CNC machines. And I was an inventor. I was hoping to sell that product as like an e-commerce tool. But really, I was just playing and experimenting in life. And, you know, one of the lifestyles that appealed to me was being a ski bum. A lot of my friends just lived on a ski mountain and they worked like six months of the year. They made like 10 bucks an hour, but their expenses were low and didn't really need much money. And that seemed like a better trade-off. And then when I was 24, I had lost someone very close to me all of a sudden in the span of a weekend, and it destroyed my life. This was my older brother. He was a father figure to me, a mother figure. He helped like form my life and, and my passions and my hobbies, my pa- passions for biking. And I couldn't think, I couldn't do anything. And so the first thing I did was just move to a ski mountain. And I was just like, I just want to snowboard every day. And I did that. But in the meantime, I was trying to figure out ways to help myself. And that's where I found podcasts. And that's eventually how I actually came into Tropical MBA. Listening to the stories of people on this podcast was really inspiring because it it felt relatable. Someone like me who's never had a professional job, like I didn't know how to start. It seemed like so far away to start my own business. And eventually I kind of reverse engineered a path. And the first step was actually not to start a business. It was like, I just want to be in the same room with these people. I want to be inside of a business and work for someone who actually is growing the business that I want to do. I think back in the day, you guys were all big about productized services. So that was like my aim. Like, how can I work for someone who has a productized service? And I still had a problem. I still was like, I don't have anything to offer. Like, I have no skills, which also now I realize isn't true. Just being able to speak English well is a skill. But back then, the story I told myself is like, I have nothing to offer. Bring me into the details of what your life looks like right there. After your brother's death, you 
just went to some remote mountain somewhere? Like, how did you afford to do that? What was it like? So I got a little bit of a head start because I had friends from high school who did it after high school, didn't go to college or anything. So I knew they were able to live with some sort of entry level job or whatever. It was the resort called Copper Mountain in Colorado. That's like, you know, a couple hours outside of Denver. They have housing on the resort for employees, basically just a big dorm. And they take the money out of your paycheck so you never even see it. So I think if I recall, the dorm was like 300 bucks a month. It was a full-time job, like working yeah, five days a week or four days a week or something like that. Were you the guy who like gets people on the lift or what was your job? I was not qualified to do that. <laughs> I was so green, I had to just be a cashier. They had these things called ride breaks where they basically, you had a three-hour lunch and every single day I would always take my snowboard to work and then just walk to the ski lift and then do a couple laps. The thing that made me move away from it is it got, it got dangerous because my mental thoughts were so powerful and so grief-stricken, I would get distracted while riding in between trees. That was a very telling thing that I'm doing something that should take 100% of your energy and my mind is getting distracted towards thinking about my brothers, thinking about my family and all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, I need, I need help. Like, I need to figure this out. How did you know you needed help? I didn't seek out help in others for a while. So that, that actually took a very long time for me. It was very much my mission was about how to create a legacy of my brother's memory and like I took that like mission. It was a story I told myself because honestly, I didn't want to live without him in my life. I didn't have all my extended families in India. You know, I only grew up with my parents. They split about a young age. And so when I say my brother was a lot of things, he was, he was my entire world. And a therapist over the years told me this phrase that it wasn't this just death of a loved one. It was death of a dream because I had this picture of like being old and having multiple houses and we just like hang out and I would probably be divorced twice, but I would still have my brother late in my life. <laughs> that was the vision in my head. That shattered and that took a while to process. I was resistant to it at first. Like my parents gave me the contact to a mental health therapist and I was just like, screw that. Why? Initially, I had a shock. I had a gut reaction and I just knew it was like a bandaid. It wasn't going to like rewire my brain. So I just didn't do it for a while. And so the real thing that actually helped was one year after he passed, I signed up for a 10-day silent retreat in Northern California. And it was, you know, the most challenging thing in my life. And you meditate for like 16 hours a day. It was really strict. You don't eat after lunch. You wake up at 4 a.m. every day. And, and honestly, I just spent like most of those days just like crying because of the thoughts in my head. And the whole practice is observing your thoughts and not reacting to them. Frankly, I didn't learn a lot from the meditation itself other than the technique, but what I got was mental clarity. And in that moment, I felt like I saw my life purpose. And that was something to leave a legacy for my brother. He was a very selfless person. And so I told myself, like, I gotta, I gotta walk the footsteps that he was gonna walk in the world. And he was an entrepreneur. He was the one that taught, like, gave me rich dad, poor dad. So he was the one who was already on that path before me. He was like the caretaker in the family and the giver to his family and our friends as well. So I, I really respected and admired that. And honestly, I didn't embody those values, but I thought I had to now in order to like live up to his legacy. So that was 2015. That was a year after he lost. I was 25. And that was the moment that I was like, I need to join the DC. I need to be in this room. One of the things I've noticed with mental health is that a lot of the ways it's presented in our discourse is like with very simple, basic ideas. Like, so you didn't give yourself enough time to grieve. For me, like, there's no quantity to that and I don't understand it. And so I would pass it over as like, okay, that's kind of interesting. But like, I just, it wasn't like this new sexy idea. It was the basics. It's like chop wood, carry water. It's a basic thing. I got so triggered with that advice from my first therapist. I finally sought out a therapist when I was in Colorado. And it was only the help of someone close to me that I was actually hurting because my thoughts were so heavy and I was leaning on her for support. And she was like, I'm not equipped to handle this kind of stuff. And you know, she was right. So I sought one out in Colorado. 
And I did not like him at all because of the reasons that you just said. He was basically telling me, you need to do the basics. You need to sleep. You need to eat. You need to exercise. And in my eyes, I was, I was sleeping okay then. And I was snowboarding on a mountain. I was super healthy. So in my eyes, I'm like, I'm doing the basics. I'm fine, like physically, but my head is still messed up. Like I need something more. And so I thought it was really trivial and kind of insulting that he would just constantly tell me that I need to do this basic stuff. And yeah, he also said like time will heal. It didn't resonate with me at all, really. So that was, it took a while before I found the therapist that actually met me where I was and helped me with what I was going through. The difficult part is you have to be open and vulnerable and just share what's going on. Where I was at, that was no problem for me because I was like, I need help. Like, I need to talk about this. What was difficult and challenging was the people in Colorado, I think they were not used to diversity. And for podcast listeners of the show, you may not tell, but I'm an Indian guy. I was born in India. I'm first generation. My parents were immigrants. So there's a lot of nuance with the cultural dynamics of how I'm raised. I grew up with a lot of different religious beliefs from all the different cultures because my parents wanted to assimilate me in American culture, but also hold on to my roots. And I'm, I'm trying to share all this stuff with my therapist and he just didn't get it. It took a while. I saw two therapists there. And honestly, for the people of the show thinking about therapy, it's really like doing sales calls or business. It's, the, it's a, more about the process of finding the right fit. And eventually the thing that did it was I actually used one of the online platforms. I forget what it's called, maybe BetterHelp, something back then. I don't think it's still in business anymore. But it was just a virtual thing, and I thought it was better for me because I was moving around the states, and I needed consistency. And it was also a texting plan. And that was like the third, maybe fourth woman person that I talked to. And eventually that was like the one that solidified things. So the rest is history. I've been working with her for years more consistently back then and that was like then 2015 going into 2016 but yeah so it took a while it's definitely not a thing to get discouraged if you feel like the first person is not a fit for you i really look at these people as like teachers just as business people would, would go to coaches or consultants to help them with business they're just the people to help them help me with my with how my brain works which arguably is the most important thing more than anything else What an incredible product this week. This episode is brought to you by Service Provider Pro, an agency dashboard and client portal software for productized services. Can you believe it? You know we're huge on productized services around here. This product is designed for those of you who run them at scale. So if you want to scale up your agency, you need a system for handling clients, payments, and projects. Service Provider Pro gives you that system together with a white-labeled client portal that makes your agency look professional, saves your clients time, and serves as a central source of truth for your team. Service Provider Pro is trusted by many TMBA listeners, including seven-figure agencies. This is a solution made specifically for selling and delivering your services at scale. So check them out. Check it out over at spp.co to learn more how it works. That's spp.co. You mentioned so you got to the end of your retreat and it got to top of mind that you wanted to become an entrepreneur, pursue that path. What were your next steps? So I reverse engineered what that looked like, like what being a business owner, traveling full time and, you know, having that freedom to do what you want. And I reverse engineered that what's right in front of me now is like, I just need to learn a skill. I wanted to show up into the DC community and really just be of service. And the word service resonates with me because I've always volunteered and things like that. So I didn't care if I was going to do stuff for free. I just wanted to be helpful. So I learned web development with the aid of a friend of mine who I was skiing with. And he took me under his wing and taught me some basic coding and really actually didn't serve me other like the skills itself other than to get started because eventually that led me to learning what web page builders was how wordpress works squarespace and very simple he was just like you have enough skills and design fundamentals to go sell squarespace sites to like small business owners 
I should probably mention Squarespace is like a no-code builder. Exactly, yeah. It's a drag-and-drop visual page builder. The whole premise is I, I just set it up for clients and then you know give it over to them, and maybe they come back to me for ongoing management or something. So did you start to actually make sales while you were on the ski slope? Yes and no. It was really a difficult time like to paint that picture. I was living in a condo at the bottom of a mountain, not at the resort itself, but the next closest thing, maybe like a football field walk away. And there was hardly any ski rip reception I, I, or uh, cell phone reception. I just remember one time I had to do a sales call and I literally had to drive my car in a blizzard to like the top of this hill and just do the call in my car. And I'm just like, you know, this is fun, but this is a hard, like if I want to prioritize business, like I need to make moves and be in a more urban environment. So 2016 came around, you know, my coach kind of taught me things and I met someone in Denver. She was actually in Tahoe. It was through a dating app. So it was a kind of crazy story, but eventually I actually just moved into her place in Denver. She already worked online, working at some corporate jobs. So it was like similar energy, similar vibe. I basically hustled on Craigslist, which is like some online classified boards and looking for like web design gigs. And my very first gig was for $3,000. And I sold a Shopify site that needed a WordPress blog on it. And I felt like, oh my God, like I made it. This is it. Like <laughs> this is happening. I'm, I was making 10 bucks an hour before and now it's like three grand all, all at once. In hindsight, I wish I also like got a part-time job at the time because I went full in into this freelance side and I actually started living off of my credit cards, which was a very poor decision to make looking back, but it also gave me a fire under my ass. And then in this time, I reached out to Jessica, who was your community manager, events organizer at the time. And I was like, please, can I come to this event? I'm learning some web design. I have some skills, but I can't join the membership. I just want to volunteer. I just want to be in the same room. And she was like, sure. So what year was this? So actually, I didn't mention this part, but I reached out to her in 2015. And she said yes. And I was going to come to DCBKK 2015. And I was not confident in myself and my path. And when I ran it by my dad, he instilled a lot of fear and lack of confidence in me growing. And I was still was looking to him for, for support. And I didn't go, basically. I was like, no, I want to learn. I want to save my, like learn more skills. I want to save up money and then go. You know, turns out he was just projecting his own fears as people do. So 2016 came around. Well, and also, you know, not to fault your father too much too, because we have to be careful about who we know what the answers are going to be nine times out of 10, depending on who we go to. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of that too. <laughs> sure. And, and, you know, I admired him. I wanted his support. I wanted him to support my decision. So I was, you know, I'm looking for his validation that, you know, that's on me. That's not on him. You know, just as a comparison, my brother, whenever he would go to my dad for things, he would never ask for permission. He would just say, this is what I'm doing. So you're living in Denver and it's an expensive city and you've just got one client. Like, how do you make it another year? What do you do that year? That was when I was still like use my credit cards to live. I racked up about like $15,000 worth of debt and I definitely was not coming in with any money to like pay any of it off. That was my first DCBKK. So I, I joined, I came into DCBKK with that debt with no savings. I just wanted to be in that room. I also reached out to another community member, Chris Reynolds. He was doing a one-month accelerator in Chiang Mai, which is a town in the mountains in northern Thailand. And I learned that a lot of people from the conference in Bangkok go to Chiang Mai afterward to hang out. And so I sort of had that built-in structure that, like, I'm going to go for a conference for a week, then I'm going to go to Chiang Mai, and that's really where I get to build relationships and like, meet people and, and hang out in the same city. That was key. By the way, I remember meeting you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember meeting you at Beer Lab. It was a mm -hmm. DC Junto. 
we just like had like a 15 minute talk and I think we might've even like figured that like did a deal together or something. I was like, Oh, uh, why don't you do this thing? <laughs> that would be like very much like me. Uh, yeah. Like, Oh, you're new here. Why don't you do this thing? We need to have it done. I remember that vividly. <laughs> that didn't come for a little while. It was actually cause you guys were hiring for, I think Jessica's replacement as community manager. And at the time my objective was just being in a job where I can embed myself. It was less about the skills I had. And at the time I started opening my mind up to those things. And so I applied and then you were like, Hey, you're here. I'm here. Let's just chat in person. We'll do it at the Junto. Oh, that's right. And we chatted about that. And then you're asking me about web design and gigs. And then, yeah, you then offered me a deal (laughs) to redesign the TMBA landing page at the time. That was a gig that we worked together on in 2016, 2017. But yeah, that was an interesting conversation. You know, I I think what you're wonderfully doing right now is just sharing the details of all these random things that just comes about from like the $3,000 first gig to like moving into someone's house, they offering you free rent to like the volunteering to the fact that you applied to a job, but you didn't get it. But then we hung out for half an hour and we did something else together. Like you're just putting yourself out there. Absolutely. I mean, I had nothing to lose. You know, after getting to Chiang Mai, I actually told my then girlfriend that I'm not coming back to America. I burned the boats. There's this like, saying that you have to burn all your boats. So you, I forget the quote, but it was no going back at that point. I was like, I need to get rid of everything I own. I told her she can sell my car with all my bikes and skis and tents in it. I'm like, I don't care. None of that serves me anymore. Like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I went from a dark, dreary basement, unfinished basement. She was also remodeling the house. I didn't mention that part, but it was a hard environment. And then I came here and everything in Thailand was amazing. It was nice and warm. I had my own place for 200 bucks a month. And it was just the energy of having other people around and then co-working. Obviously, I'm, I'm like a very social person. So I needed to co-work and meet people and just be around other peers. And that was the part that solidified that I'm not going back. And I didn't go back to America for five years until just a couple weeks ago. That set a lot in motion at the time. So we've often described Chiang Mai as the freshman dorms of digital nomadism. And I think that's pretty apt. I'd like to hear your review on that. And also how you managed to graduate when so many others dropped out. Yeah, good point. What you said, freshman dorm, it's exactly that. Like you can get a very inexpensive apartment in Thailand for even like 150. I know people who are doing it less than $100. So it's real cheap. Chiang Mai has great coffee shop culture. I would just go and buy a coffee and then eat and then work there. And that would be my life. One thing that I wasn't really prepared for or had to navigate is after a couple months, a lot of the DC community members left. They went on to other places. Smoky season. Yeah, I, uh, I had to go. It was a little bit of disconnect of my dream because I thought, honestly, I could just land and grow a six-figure business and then just travel the world while doing it. Well, lesson number one, I just got to interrupt and flag it up is you stayed in on Friday night because the party gets better. It's I've seen so many people go to the freshman dorms of digital nomadism and they spend the whole time acting like they made it already, using it as an opportunity to go around and see the sites, to visit the neighboring countries, to not be left out of anything. And the only thing you ended up left out of at the end of the day is your dream because you decided to be overly social or overly celebratory or whatever. What did it look like for you staying stable and hustling? What did you actually do? Honestly, I should have done more balance and like visited other countries and done road trips. I was, (laughs) it was not a healthy or sustainable way of life. It was the seeds of burnout for sure. At the time, I just started accumulating like freelance jobs that I met with different people, like random things. Um, My coach, I did a work exchange with him. 10 hours a week and like another DC or had me doing some random website gigs. It was just a bunch of like little random things like this that I was like starting to pick up, but I was always still looking for clients because cash flow wasn't certain. So it was very nerve wracking. I I never realized when you're thinking about putting food on your plate, how much you can't do anything else when you're in like survival mode. And just to like remind everyone, like I had Max out credit cards, 15 grand, no savings, no real family to really help me. And it was really difficult to go through this. 
This is the thing I heard the other week, and I was like, that is so true. And it's a big theme in our generation is that a lot of these people have money from other sources. I could go into some detail about that, but essentially, like when you see people and they're like always having fun and they like just moved to Asia and it's all this kind of stuff, it's like, how is all that possible? Like, and they'll talk about business and stuff, but actually, it's just like they have an inheritance, they have a stipend, they have some kind of payout from something. And so you have to be really careful if you're in a position like I was, where I had like my own personal debt, my family wasn't going to help me, that I had like a very different agenda than if you just really dig into people's stories and you see where they're coming from, often they're solving for a very different thing. Absolutely. No, you're 100% right. And so it's really dangerous to see all that stuff and not really get the full picture, especially if you're not confident in yourself and you're still figuring things out. You know, just to reframe that, like I also was born with a lot of privilege. Like, as I said before, I never had bills growing up. I had discretionary income from what I earned, but I, I feel very fortunate for that itself. In this period, I also essentially wanted to be financially free from my parents. And at the time, like doing all these odd jobs, like to be honest, my dad was helping me. Like he would toss me a few hundred bucks when ends didn't meet here and there. Cause I'm working on a ski mountain, you know, it's like <laughs> barely paying the bills or anything like that. And there are other costs in living in America. You got to buy health insurance and car insurance and all that stuff. So he'd be helping me. And I also realized that I would be, you know, letting him affect my decision-making process because I'm financially tied to him. So for me, it was really important to be financially independent from him specifically. This goes really deep, but a way that he would sort of, you know, control the family growing up was also through his money. He was like the money maker. And, you know, I saw this pattern in my brother. He was, he realized this a long time ago, like I need to make my own money. So I'm not controlled by the decisions of our parents because their decisions are different from the ones that he would want to make. So I took a little bit longer to catch that one. Money is such a big concept that we often will attach our own belief systems to it. And so it's one of the really interesting things to do in a therapeutic process where you can like spend a bunch of time around that topic and figure out like what money's meant to you. And I mean, I've done some very strange things with money in my life that weren't intuitive to me at the time. When we first sold our business and I got like this big, enormous payout, I put it in a uh, bank account and I like didn't look at it for two years. Like I didn't invest it. I didn't do anything. I just put it there and just, and I just ignored it. I could see that. Yeah. Why would I do that? Like, the, well, it's going to take a couple hours of therapy to figure out why I would do that. It's so wrapped up. I mean, a lot of, I'm also listening to Ramit Sethi's podcast. He's a personal finance guy and he has this amazing podcast where he interviews couples. I got the book right here. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the book. I will teach you to be rich. His podcast is amazing. I think it, it's very unique. He interviews a couple's money problems. And what he always finds out is like, it's usually because of a belief they learned in childhood, like something they learned from a parent and it's wrapped up in some fear or some yes. trauma response. And, you know, that's usually the underlying thing. So it's like when you're talking about putting your money away and not touching it, like there's maybe some fear attached to it. Then it's up to you to dig and ask like two or three questions of why, of like why you're doing that. It's like, well, what's that fear? What do you hope to gain? What do you hope to lose? And like really digging in there. So money is just a symptom, but it represents so much more of like your childhood and like how it was used, what it means to you and, and all that stuff. And, and those are really fascinating and interesting questions to me. I just want to give a big thanks to all of you who listened to ads like this and went on over to dynamitejobs.com to see what we've got going on over there. Because of that, we've helped place hundreds of qualified remote professionals in your companies last year. And for this holiday season, many of you are gearing up your operation for continued growth in 2022. And to help you do it, we've got three exciting options for you to explore. The first is our entirely new hiring platform with a job post dashboard that allows you to repost and promote anytime. We've got a growing list of features there, including intelligent promotion options to help you get the maximum amount of applications. We've also got our done for you service. If you're sick of sorting, assessing, 
and interviewing, you can hire our senior recruiting staff to do the heavy lifting on your behalf. They are experienced at identifying trajectory, alignment, salary fit, and much more. And the best part is it's a flat fee. If you're hiring multiple times in 2022, we're offering bundles with steep discounts. Head on over to dynamitejobs.com and book a call to hear about that. And finally, we offer contract recruiting. That's right, a zero-risk hiring option if you don't really know about the long-term fit. Or if you're looking for a partner to help take care of the legalities of hiring contractors, we can do that for a monthly fee for the contractors that you bring on board. So let's grow together. If you're looking to grow your remote business, book a call with our team and find out today how Dynamite Jobs can help. You can find out about this and much more over at dynamitejobs.com slash remote recruiting. I want to try to absorb into your story at the moment when you found some gearing. You're kind of describing like two years of like meeting interesting people, people really helping you out a lot. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're getting some money here and there. You're figuring out how to cut deals and make some freelance income. We're in 2017 now. Like I just got to the DC. I'm living in Chiang Mai for the year, still doing freelance gigs. And frankly, I was about to burn out. And I was so close to it. And I was telling this to my coach. And he basically, we came to the conclusion that I just need to find a job. Uh, something that just pays me a regular income. So I know money's coming on my table and I can eat and stuff. I just expressed this to one of my clients, and he immediately offered me a job on the spot. It was also for a DCer. We were just doing Facebook ads for his membership site, and then he's like, I just need a back-end marketing guy. And then all of a sudden, my skill set went from like Facebook ads to like marketing and funnels. As a way of making Facebook ads work, I had to learn just everything about marketing, from like copies, customer psychology... I got courses. I dove so deep because I then wanted this business to grow as my own. That was when I accelerated my knowledge and had this platform. I had a sandbox for me to use my knowledge. Like he had a Facebook ad budget of like, I don't know, like three grand a month at the time. And so we were getting users in. I was tweaking things. I was learning new problems as I go. Hired a consultant to figure out problems ahead of me. And that was when I really started feeling when you would just call it getting gearing because I felt more confident in myself and really started getting the like getting my chops I know it can sound like a backstep because it's not like I didn't go towards building a business and I took a job that's what I needed at the time for me to learn if you really like if you're trying to figure out where the details dear listener where you might line up with all this like what I'm hearing in your story Bunty is that you never worked for a startup you didn't work for a bootstrap company and so having to survive at the same time as having to learn and be open is a very difficult dichotomy. It sounds like the warmth and embrace of like, I respect you, Bunty, here's your salary. Now, like, don't worry about living, worry about growing this company. You're not trying to maximize your income. You're trying to maximize the amount that you can learn by actually feeling doing the tasks. Exactly. Like I never been in that environment. So it was extremely validating to me. And like my first real job as like a marketing professional, you know, I was basically the marketing manager doing everything. It was just me and him running it. And so a lot of what I did made an impact that I could see day in and day out. And I did that for a year or so. And I honestly didn't work on other things. I needed that space. And just to jump back to the mental health stuff, stuff got really bad for me around that time where I like led to this. I uh, almost attempted suicide. And that was a, a low point in the summer of 2017, where then I sought out a therapist in Thailand and got antidepressant medication. And so this was the same time I also got this job. So to frame everything like I really just needed something to like take the edge off and something just to like enjoy life for once. And so I, I put a pause on everything else and just needed to like equalize my brain space because I've never gotten that bad in my life. And that was definitely like a low point. Can you talk about some of the factors that led to you feeling that way? Trying things and not seeing the success that I wanted, which is a very dangerous way of thinking, being outcome dependent. 
oh, I'm trying to do this stuff. Nothing's working. I'm still broke. I felt crazy because I'm a smart person and people seem to trust me, but I'm like, why can't I grow a business? Why can't I make money? And the real dangerous part of it is I tied this vision of growing this business into the legacy of my brother. So then it led me to be like, I'm letting him down. And so it just unraveled everything in my life when I was not able to meet my business goals. Such a dangerous thing because even after years, you can be trying something and something doesn't work and it's at no fault of your own. It's like the last five or 10% or 1% of things that you do that like ends up working and making up for all the rest. It's super risky in business to chase this flow. And so it was a lot of those things compounding where I just didn't see the progress I wanted. And I was just like, I'm a failure. I can't do it all. And it was just painful to live and to live in that existence and not seeing that progress. To create a business is a very abstract idea, especially a remote one. What does that look like? How do I actualize that? And now I'm much better at one, actualizing that, but also not tying my mood and my feelings and identity to that outcome as well. I want to, I guess, ask you a little bit about, you know, risk mitigation with mental health and stuff. Do you feel like moving to Thailand put like an unrealistic amount of stress on you in that fragile situation? I mean, was that a bad call? No, I honestly couldn't see it another way. The reality is in America, it would have been much harder. Like everything would have been more difficult. I honestly think if I stayed in America, I wouldn't have made it. Like I would have just ceased to exist. And so that was probably the best move I could make. Now that I'm in Mexico, I feel like maybe Mexico would have been a better, like lower risk investment if I had to do it again, or if the community was here. It's like, you know, a couple hours away, I could pop home, pop and see friends. The flight to Thailand's no joke, and it's difficult if you do have ties, and that can be a mental burden for a lot of people who have loved ones still in the States or, you know, Western side of the world. You mentioned you're staying in an apartment right now. I can see it in the background that you're down the street, down the hall from a lot of different entrepreneurs. Exactly, exactly. So that's amazing. You just show up and you'll be plugged in, not just in the DC community, but there's tons of other business owner groups. There's crypto groups. There's yoga here. Like You can plug into so many facets of your own personality in a place like Playa. People have some mixed opinions about Playa. It's very touristy. Like Everyone speaks English here and it's not super representative of Mexico, which may be good as like a first-time traveler. I'm still trying to learn Spanish, so it's great for me as a beginner Latin America explorer. But for other people who are like purists of travelers, they're like, eh, I'd rather go to a more authentic part of Mexico. So Playa del Carmen, where I am specifically, is a great part for like exploring the nomad life or even taking your current job and trying to do it remotely for like an extended weekend. Like come on a Thursday and just do it for Friday and then just come to your weekend. Like that seems achievable right in front of you if you, you know, are currently working something and you want to explore the feeling. Let's talk about how, you know, I know you've achieved some financial success, but you left us at sort of your low point. Yeah, I hit a rock bottom a few times. So like then 2017 went through, I went to the conference. That was another story because I also just like was at a low point showing up to the conference. This time I bought a ticket, not as like a volunteer, but just being there. And I felt like super imposter syndrome. And that was also really difficult. Shortly after that, the next smoky season comes around Chiang Mai, which is around like January through April. It's for smoky season for what people don't know. It's like if you hotbox a car with cigarettes. like every day takes 10 years off of your life i swear so i'm like i'm never doing that again i need to go and a lot of people would go to bali as like another digital nomad hub in the tropics that's where i've been for the last three years and also through the entire pandemic so it's been a great home in the next part of life i moved into a villa a shared villa with two other dcers and honestly that was a magical time of life because i never had an experience living with roommates that I liked or friends. Like I never went to college, university with other friends I really resonated with and didn't have the experience. So it was truly magical for us three to be there working and hustling and in the same room. I was paying probably $600 a month for a really nice bedroom in a beautiful villa with a pool in Bali. And right then I actually quit my job with the membership site and I wanted to like go on my own again. 
And so that was like May or March 2018. And, and that was like the start of my current agency of like just graduating into that form. But I still had unsuccessful tries. Like I tried to do Facebook ads for cleaning companies and I got a client or two. And it was more so the fact of like, how can I enter a market? didn't really work out long term. I started getting some traction on my own. And then I also like by this time, I also knew some shit. So I started doing speaking engagements and workshops. And then I started getting clients like that. And then a lot of them tended to be other online business owners. And I was kind of on the fence because online business owners are pretty smart and they kind of know it. And they sort of challenged me at the time because, you know, they could probably sense I'm still figuring it out. But I didn't want to work with online business owners compared to like a local brick and mortar store because they just don't know marketing. They come to me as the expert, whereas like an online business owner comes to me as a service provider is more of like a closing the efficiency gap, just make what they're doing better. Oh, man, after my own heart, you flagged up a TMBA term. Yeah, that's right. You have to absorb people back to the efficiency gap versus the knowledge gap. It is so seductive to solve a knowledge gap, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, because you're the expert. Just for the audience, how do you define the efficiency gap versus the knowledge gap? I'm not great at the definition, but I'll describe how it applied in my life. The knowledge gap was when I was trying to sell my services to a cleaning company. I had to educate them. I had to teach them what a click was, how Facebook ads worked, the tech behind it. They were so skeptical about that as a process. So that's the knowledge gap. I had to really educate them on what, what they needed to get to where they want to go. The efficiency gap is someone who's like already built a landing page, a page on my website, but it's not working very well. Can you improve it? And then I would go and do some tweaks, change the headline, make it a little faster, and then it performs better. And I don't have to teach him. I don't have to coach him or anything like that. It's just like they hired me to make what they're already doing, but doing it better. And so that was also my angle for Facebook ads. It's like, oh, I dabbled. I tried to get my first ad up. I'm a bootstrap entrepreneur, but I don't want to do it long term. So then I come in at that phase after they validated it. And we're like, great, I got, I got some wins. Now I want an expert to validate this further and scale it up. And that was mostly online business owners hiring to close the efficiency gap. What you described there, I think, like, is a real demonstration of why these things can come up. Because if you're gaining confidence as an entrepreneur, you're coming off your first entrepreneurial job, and now you want to start your own agency, and you're like speaking, and you're just really smart guy, and you, that's kind of how agencies make sales. Mm -hmm. If you're in like one sales process where everybody's like, oh my God, there's going to be money coming from the internet into our business. Oh my gosh, check it out. This guy is going to bring money from like that sales process feels great. Where if you're talking to like grizzled veteran who like, this is their seventh online business. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait, what you do it with what? And they're like asking you those kinds of questions. They're skeptical. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it doesn't feel as good. And part of the reason I bring it up so much on the podcast is because it's like, it's better. Trust me. Just trust me. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's harder to get into, but way better. That was basically throughout 2018. I started working with more online business owners in 2019. I also got the advice of one DCer to actually use Upwork as a platform. I'm not going to go super into that because I think you just had like an episode with yeah. John. John Solorzano. Exactly. That became, I can attest to that process. And I got some gigs and I got like one of my biggest like contracts. December 2019 and it, I sold three months up front and it was my first like 10k month and you know that was a big deal for me at the time and also like you know this is sort of a sidestep to it but I immediately took that money and paid a, a health coach in the DC because at the time I had gained a lot of weight that's also tied up in my mental health journey like from 2017 I've been taking antidepressants and I don't know if it's from them, but like I wasn't taking care of my health. And while I was getting business success, I thought I was just going to be fat forever and my life is over. And I also felt unattractive to my partner who I was starting to date, who I met her in Bali in the beginning. We're not together anymore, but at the time I felt like I wasn't also showing up in the relationship. So business started to go up, health terrible, relationship terrible. And that was right on the cusp of 2020, just started making some money and also got my first SaaS client there. That's when I really started just investing in my health. I like worked with this physical trainer 
So I was weighing like 200 pounds for a guy who's like 5'6". So bad in one way or another, started working with him, started losing the weight. The pandemic hit. Didn't really change anything for me in terms of like my routines and my habits. And at this point, I moved away from trying to work with cleaning companies and doubled down on SaaS. And so then I started working with another company. And honestly, it was from there, the rest was history. Like that company then referred me to a bunch of other SaaS clients. He was part of a high-end group coaching that people paid a lot of money for on a yearly basis to join for only SaaS companies making over 10K a month and monthly recurring revenue. And then all of a sudden, I just got a bunch of clients. But honestly, for a while, it was still me and like some VA to help me, a Facebook ads media buyer to help me in that process. And so last year was all about team building. And I went you know, heavy into that. I resumed with my mental health therapist, the one that I had like many years ago when I was more depressed. And now like I felt like a, you know, more, a better person. Like I got off antidepressants. I started having like a health routine and I was just more mentally stable. I had the money to invest in myself and that paid that paid dividends in all areas of life. But then it really took me like the year. And then it wasn't really until like the end of 2020 that like I started hiring a bunch more people and I took a loss for a couple months, which is crazy to me because before I had cash flow like net zero, can never afford to take a loss in any month. Here I hired like 10 people at once on a trial basis and see who was good. That was the really only way for me to tell how people worked. In 2021, like things got a lot more solid. And then I realized like I don't have to work as much. Like I'm not doing day-to-day ads. I'm just doing client calls, client strategy. I was still in it, but like I could go on weekends. Like I can go to resorts with my girlfriend. Like I can have fun with friends. And I started seeing the light. But then in June 2021, just a few months ago, I, I got COVID really, really bad. I had like a fever for a week and then I got admitted to a hospital and I was, I had to go into the ICU for nine days. It ended up being fine, but the fear I had of walking into the ICU on the first day, it was really nerve wracking. And also I wasn't getting better when I first got in, like they gave me oxygen and my blood oxygen level was still going down and they were like, your organs are about to shut down. And in that moment, I actually kind of made my peace with God. And I was just like, is this what I've been working? Like, I've been hustling this like for five years now. Only this last year has been anything. And coming out of that, I was in a rough state. I got out of the hospital July and the styling went on lockdown. And I just had time to myself to recuperate. I atrophied, lost like 20 pounds, you know, like 10 kilos or something just from lying in a bed for two weeks. And so my focus was just to get back my health. But in that time, I also got one of my guys to do a client call for me. And I would never do this before. And so then the client came back to me and was like, oh, he was great. Like he crushed it on the call. We even fixed the landing page on the call itself. And I would never do that. I would push back. We don't do anything after the click. So I'm just like boundaries. (laughs) But that was the light bulb moment. And that sort of stuff came together where it's like, okay, great. He can do a client call. And at this time, it's been like over a month since I haven't touched my laptop. And I'm finally starting to see the light of what it means like to prioritize my health, my physical health, my mental health. They're all, they all go together. And I shared this with my team member and he effectively kind of told me that he wants to start like this small digital marketing team. And effectively, then instead of him working for me, he would then be a business partner and essentially take care of the fulfillment side of the business. And this is new for him. He's worked as a marketer like his whole life. And now he's doing this freelance thing. I really just saw me, but a few years ago, honestly, the rest is history. Like I'm, I'm pretty much fully out of the business now and he runs it and clients are still happy. You know, they're still spending money with us. And I'm focused more on the lead gen and sales. And he's also involved in that process too, because our selling process is through demonstrating our expertise. We do like an audit, you know, pretty common for this type of stuff. So he does that as well. And now we're, we're in conversations with some pretty big SaaS companies. And I feel like I'm truly in the business owner seat. 
and I'm like, this is the only way I'm going to do business moving forward. Like, I need to figure out how I can just hire an operator and just support the shit out of, that, out of that person. Hire top down for anything in the future, because this is, this is what I've been aiming for this whole time. I'm in the phase that you guys just had an episode about taking a break, and that's where I was. I'm not done, but I consider this a mini retirement now, and it's been absolutely magical to just revisit who I am with this you know, newfound environment. I got cash in a bank. We're investing in marketing. We're investing in growth. And I want to see this thing grow and we have the infrastructure for it. So that kind of what led me to being like, yeah, coming to you for sponsorship and for other deals. And now I, I've elevated also my mindset and my thinking to think bigger as well. Bunty, I got to run off to another meeting right now. I hesitate to end the conversation, but I want to ask you the hardest question at the end, which is, you know, you were once five years ago, earbuds in listening to this pod and thinking about what it might mean for you to go on a different path in life, what sort of advice or thoughts do you have for those in that position to consider today? I mean, the biggest thing for me was just getting into the right room. That's also because I have high you know, social EQ or social capital. I leveraged my skills. So maybe that's the bigger takeaway, but really to invest heavily in these relationships, you know, it's helped other people who aren't as extroverted as me. And what I still say to even new community members that I met at the recent conference is the best thing is do is just hang out in the city with people. Like the conference is fun. There are people I see year in, year out, but I create my real bonds and do business with the people that I'm living in the city with. Like we get to go out to dinners, go out to lunches. That's where life happens. And I think there's less emphasis of that in, in even this podcast and even in the community until you start digging deep of all the, you know, DCX events and different formats and stuff. Then, then it becomes obvious. And my advice is just to get to one of those cities. It doesn't matter if it's the DC, like just plug in to one of those cities and see what people are chatting about, see who you resonate with and being open to those opportunities and not letting your own idea of how you should do business or get a job or anything like that limit you from those possibilities. Just learn. Hey, big shout out to Bunty for sharing some of the experiences I know so many of us have had, but don't talk about often, especially in public. Really cool. Actually, this conversation started at, at DC Mex. I was inquiring about his services and we just sort of got to talking about this stuff. And we both decided it would be worth doing for the pod. And I hope you enjoyed it. So if any of this resonates with you, we'd love to hear your story. Ping us an email. Our producer's email is jane at tropicalmba.com. That's it for this week. We'll be back as always next Thursday, 8 a.m. Eastern time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.